everybody. Welcome to Spiritual Questions Answered. This is a time for us to interact with you, see what's on your mind, and talk through some cool Swedenborgian-style, spiritual-style questions about the deeper nature of life and everything like that. Who wouldn't want to do that? My name is Curtis Childs. I'll be your host through this. Don't be afraid. Just type in your questions in the YouTube chat room right now, and we will try our best to respond to those questions. I'm excited to have with me an excellent panel. This is Chelsea Odner, who's a writer and the production manager for Swedenborg Foundation. Next to her is Dr. Jonathan Rose, who does various things, among them being the series editor of the New Century Edition. Works of Emanuel Swedenborg, and you may be saying to yourself... There's always four. There's always four. They had four people in the thumbnail. Why isn't there four? Well, it's because our fourth is here in spirit. Well, actually, in technological form. Karin Childs, who's another writer for Swedenborg in Life, is here with us. Hi, Karin. Thanks for joining us. Hello from snowy Michigan. Yep. So if, if a snowstorm hits right during this, we'll continue to bring uh, Karin to you no matter what. <laughs> so um, what we're going to do, guys, is, is play the same game that we always play, which is Yay. people are going to write in wh what they want to talk about, and we're going to try our best to talk about it, and the reviews will come in, and we'll see how we did. And, and hopefully we've had, we'll have had some interesting thoughts that are going to prompt us to go on and think things further as the week goes, or we pick out something useful. Or, it doesn't matter what happens. Mm -hmm. We're already here. You guys aren't going to leave now. We didn't even start yet. So let's let's try it. Let's see what's <laughs> on your mind. Uh, let's see what people are writing about in the chat room right now. So this is our first question. Tacitus, our friend, asks, are halos and angel wings a real thing? Ooh. And this is a great question because we struggle with this sometimes in the depiction of yeah. angels. We're talking about angels a lot on this. Um, so... You know, does Swedenborg mention these things? Uh, is is there a, a hard and fast code? You could never have an angel with a halo, never have it with a wing, or you could. What What's the, the Swedenborgian take on these things that are so popular in, in pop culture depicting these kind of entities? Anyone have any thoughts? Yeah, Chelsea. Um, well, one thing that comes to mind is that we get it from um, the Bible, I guess, in a large part because there are like the cherubim and seraphim and these <clears throat> um, visions that prophets had and of of these angelic beings that had wings and right um and then and then and then the cherubim above the ark of the covenant who the wings came up and touched and so clearly i think um there's a reason for that and from a swedenborgian angle uh it comes into the whole idea of representations in heaven and in the spiritual world that yeah. that it's almost like as if your thoughts appear or have some sort of substance to them in the way that you appear. And it doesn't mean that everybody always is walking around with these clunky wings that they have to deal with, or, you know, it creates more of a burden or something, but yeah. um, that- they like preen their feathers. Yeah, <laughs> it can get really awkward. But um, no, but just that they actually, that they are a symbol and communicate something to people if there's a purpose for them to appear with wings. And I, one of the correspondences that um, Swedenborg talks about is how wings um, correspond to trust and providence. There's something about this. I don't know if it's because you use wings to ride on air or if it's also that they're up in the sky, yeah. you know, to lift you up, but that, that um, that's one of the meanings that I find impactful, resonates with me. Yeah, well, that makes total sense if you're thinking of, um, you know, the state of trust in God is this very happy, peaceful state. Definitely trust in providence is what feels like it gets me up into those, that, that sort of uh, really cool experience. So those are the wings, at least. I right, mean. right. Yeah, it's true. And the biblical image that involves wings is kind of complicated. Like, 
six wings and eyes within yeah. and you know like sort of weird imagery it's not sort of one simple human figure that also happens to have these big wings like you see portrayed sometimes in the movies and other places uh when i started working on the new century edition i really would have answered uh no angels don't have wings human form you know that's that's sort of the way they've been depicted through the ages and so on but then you read Swedenborg's works and he talks about cherubs, you know, seeing cherubs up near the ceiling of this temple. And, well, did they have wings or not? Or he says, I saw an angel flying under the eastern heaven. And, you know, well, yeah. how was he, you know, like how, how did that flying occur yeah. and so on? And I think the halos, too, the idea of just the aura, he talks a lot about auras. Yes, and, and right. a, you know, a sphere of your life in some translations or. Or whatever, and and the idea that there's a that really there's a sphere around everybody, and there's a sphere even around, you know, rocks and plants and and all, all kinds of things um, have a sphere around them. So I think it's there's I now think there's something to those depictions, and I agree with what Chelsea said about the meaning of it and wings, particularly having to do with spiritual truth. So kind of truth that lifts you up, and so I imagine there are times when somebody's having a conversation about that that you kind of see those wings, whether they're really mm -hmm. physically there or, or not, and does it matter, you know, in the spiritual world? Yeah. It's a, I'm suddenly reminded of, I believe, an occurrence in his journal Spiritual Experiences where there are spirits who are not angels and not good, but want other people to believe they are, and they're able to fabricate, I believe, halos oh, of light. Oh, that's right. Um, so that's right. if they're able to do that to try to mimic an angel, perhaps that's a phenomenon that occurs time to time. And if I remember the same story, they, their their halos were the wrong color. They, yeah, they right. were yellow, and you should know that the yellow is not good. Or something. It's like tungsten something bulbs like versus halogen or whatever. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so um, Karen, do you have any, any thoughts on the whole uh, wings or halo topic? Yeah, I was thinking that the I think one new thing that Swingboard brought was that angels all have been humans on Earth, and so I think part of the point of the question of wings is um, their angels are not a different um, race, you know, like not a different kind of being. So they're not a being that looks like a human, but has wings. They, they were humans. And so the wings, like you say, are, they can appear as representations sometimes um, and, and do obviously in near death experiences and, and um, visions and things, but that they are not a, uh, you know, they're not a different kind of being. And it's interesting that in the, in the Bible, those cherubim and seraphim, according to what I understand from Swedenborg, is that's a different thing. That's a, that is a representative being. The guardian, guardian beings um, is different than an angel in, in Swedenborg's understanding of it. And um, so... Yeah, seeing seeing those wings would be telling you something, and definitely angels can be flying. And I think I remember sometimes um, wings on the sandals and the temples, like uh, like in the Greek myths. Um, it's all about the representation, um, and uh, the halos definitely auras. And I I do remember um, lots of descriptions of the aura, particularly around the head and of different colors, like Jonathan was saying, which would mean different things. Sometimes a rainbow colored aura around the head um, or different colors. So those are some things that I'm remembering. 
It's, it's great. It's a tricky question to ask how anything in the spiritual world appears because it seems that he's always describing this shifting mosaic of representations and uh, appearances based on your understanding of things. It's, it's hard to nail down what exactly something looks like. Uh, but I do note that Swedenborg does at its as core talk about angels have the human form just like you have, but these people that have these potent modern spiritual experiences will often see these angels with wings in them. So I would, I don't see the two in conflict. I, I think it's right. what everyone's been saying is that, yes, that, that ha- what you see is telling you something about the, the true nature of what you're seeing. And I could certainly uh, see that being a, you know, a representation that, that communicates not only this is an angel, but this is part of what the angel is like. And and if you know mm-hmm. how to read it right, this is how you get to be an angel eventually, is trust in these same kind of things, learning the same kind of things. So, okay, I think we did enough talking about, I mean, we've given a lot of theories and things. Hopefully Tacitus yeah. finds that interesting. There's so much you could dig into. Yeah, so thanks so much for that question. Let's do another one. What's the worst that could happen? Jen Blossoms asks, <laughs> does Swedenborg write of people who were mentally challenged, such as Down syndrome or cerebral, cerebral palsy, in their transition into heaven? Mm-hmm. Was there, any, what was the understanding of <clears throat> mental illness, or how did you talk about mental illness or developmental delays? Um, I mean, in that time period, did they have language around it? Is anybody aware of, of that? I mean, I know he talks about... Um, people who are not in a state of rationality can't be reformed, but he doesn't give a lot of technical specifics on what that is. So does, does that strike anything for either of you? Yeah, the, um, he's got this beautiful uh, passage that I think we might have talked about on one show uh, where he's, Swedenborg sees people in the spiritual world and he even describes the lifestyle they had where they had just been like drinking so much alcohol and beating people up and just you know uh they were they had lived this sort of life of violent drunkenness yeah and then he sees them in the spiritual world and just thinks these people don't have a spark of spirituality in them and then just in one night the angels lift them up and are able to make them into people who can be part of polite society and who you know like there's this transformation that that happens and so uh that's not quite the same as mentally challenged but uh i think there are several things that swedenborg says that uh, make me think that obviously things that are just a physical limitation is going to be overcome and he says it's amazing how much wisdom people come into and from some of the stories that actually have dates on them, it seems like it happens pretty quickly. Like within a week or two, these people are in an entirely different condition in the afterlife, you know, than they had been in this world. So it, it gives gives me hope. Yeah. And from what I understand about what we're learning about all kinds of uh physical mental conditions usually it's not that there's not a lot going on for people it's that the communication barrier isn't there right so whenever we've given people even thinking about people who are who are mostly paralyzed or something like that once technology is given them a way to express what's going on inside they have a vivid uh you know fully expansive inner life just like everybody else does so i i wonder you know if if it's just if the body is a constraint on the mind there once the body's lifted it should be that the mind is Mm. there and that that's that we were reading about how everybody's got to have the means of spiritual growth and mm-hmm. and reformation so the means may be different if we have a different way of processing life but doesn't mean we're not both making progress in our own ways and can kind of meet 
uh, you know, once once all those barriers are removed. So, Chelsea, any thoughts on that? Oh, just I yeah, I guess I don't know exactly how to read the question as far as like. Um, you know, Swedenborg writing about their transition into heaven, it makes me think sure. of the actual like dying process or something, which I just understand to be the same for everybody. And Swedenborg does write about what that process is like of being right. um, sort of having these highest angels present and then just a s gradual waking up um, in the other life, which I'm sure is taken care of very carefully, just right for the life that the person has had, you yeah. know. Absolutely. Karin, right. do you have any thoughts on the subject? I uh, reiterate what you said about Swedenborg says that anybody who has some kind of blockage to be able to um, access uh, adult rationality um, just will need, will get their chance to move into that in the afterlife. And so that's none of that counts against anything. And, and as you say, there's always good things happening in everybody's process. When I think of Down syndrome, because I grew up grew up knew, knowing someone with Down syndrome. And I remember his uh, sweetness. And I, I think of um, just a childlike state. And it would, I imagine it would be similar to children moving into the afterlife where there there's an innocence there and a sweetness and they just get scooped up and, and helped along. And um, I imagine an adult with Down syndrome, for instance, could quickly uh, move into uh, awakening to an adult ration, rationality, but that sweetness, you know, the, the, the sweetness of heart and the kindness that, um, is happening. That's something that Swedenborg says really opens people up to knowledge very quickly in the afterlife. So, uh, you know, just, just the interactions of love that happen in, in people's lives, um, make them very ready to absorb all sorts of wisdom, uh, pretty quickly, I think. Yeah, the love is the tough plant to grow. I was just reading in, mm -hmm. in um, Secrets of Heaven where he's talking about people who gather a bunch of knowledge to try to learn about theological or spiritual things. Um, those of us who are good people already have what they're trying to get to by all that. So if, if, if the hard lesson to learn in life is how to love and, and how to... Um, you know, express positive emotion and, and interact. So yeah, the, and that that sort of magnetizes all the, the knowledge afterwards. So I love that idea, Karn. Mm -hmm. Okay, great question. Let's see if we can't do any worse on the next one. This is Kendall M. who asks, did Swedenborg have any thoughts on pre-existence? And I think I know what mm -hmm. I think about this, but I'd love to hear what you all think, you think you know about this. Yeah, did Swedenborg have any thoughts on this? Because it's definitely a question that comes up and I, my first easy answer is I don't think so, but but does anyone have any shades or, or nuance on that? Oh, go ahead. Oh, just just the one thought that is jumping into my mind is just that um, Swedenborg does write that it is all it's all present to the Lord, like somehow understand, yeah. like all future and all past is all present to the Lord, and yet, and you know, the Lord somehow so i mean the lord's wisdom is infinite and that means it is just infinitely greater than anything that us finite things can <laughs> comprehend no offense and so <laughs> um so what we call pre-existence just probably doesn't even i don't know like yeah. what is that is not when you're outside of time and space but um 
so anyway, that's just some rambling words on it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Like the, the time, the, if we're thinking along a timeline, but Swedenborg has this amazing claim that God exists in the entire timeline simultaneously. Then when was was before we were existing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I think um, that idea, uh, the way I've heard it, is uh, sometimes the idea that your soul is is somewhere waiting to be born and maybe you made arrangements with other people right it sort of helps to explain what's kind of bizarre about life or how sometimes when you meet somebody for the first time you feel like you've always known them or things that you know so it, it kind of helps to explain what's kind of bizarre or random about life or the idea that maybe you agreed to help somebody even though it was so tough in this world you sort of had an agreement ahead of time um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, though, it, Swedenborg to me does sound like no, that that doesn't happen. He talks about it very occasionally, you know, only like once or twice. Uh, he says that there's no pre-existence, and when I try to put it together with other things that he says, I think what he's saying is that um, the will and the understanding, the part the part that makes you human, is formed in this physical world it, your soul is not floating around already in a sort of sentient state to be having conversations with people mm-hmm. who are souls this is how souls are built uh, yes. you know in the in the physical womb that that's how these little vessels you know to receive the lord are put together and then you take the first breath and the heartbeats and all that stuff and and uh, the lord puts that whole thing together um and that's when uh, uh, our life begins, not some, because that other idea of pre-existence is kind of next door to a reincarnation idea, like the idea that after you live, maybe you wait somewhere and then you come back again yeah. or something. And Swedenborg also doesn't think that's how it works either, yeah. just mm-hmm. to throw in another red herring. But um, <laughs> uh, And I do think the Lord foresees our existence and the Bible says, you know, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and uh, that kind of thing. So I think the Lord's sort of foreknowledge of us may be what pre-exists, uh, mm-hmm. but but an us has a start in time and, and it starts in the physical world. That's how humans are built. This this is the pre-existence to the, the spiritual existence that, that goes yes, on. Yes, right. We're in the pre-existence now. Right. So <laughs> that's is your w- pre-existence. W- way, way to duck the question there. <laughs> Karen, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, um, I I do also understand from Swedenborg that our, our individual consciousness starts at physical birth, you know, in, in the physical world. Um, but this, well, we did in our show, uh, Does My Life Matter, this interesting thing Swedenborg once said that our pre-existence is as a desire of God, a particular desire desire of God that um, manifests as us in a new, you know, uh, expression of it. And we become uh, a manifestation of that particular desire of God. And that's our potential. And then we can choose what to do with it. So our pre-existence is as part of the mind of God. And, and then at physical birth, we, we receive this individual consciousness. Um, but I agree with what a couple of you have been saying that um, it, to God, there is no past or future. All, all is present. And he has already always known us, known um, our existence. And wouldn't surprise me if the, sometimes people can experience that, you know, like, that plan somehow outside of time. Um, also, we're so connected with 
so many other minds um, that we are, we can be experiencing um, things before that happened before our physical birth, you know, through that. So I think there's a lot of ways that we could be um, experiencing uh, a larger story <laughs> that we're a part of and that, that came to make us, so to speak, um, at the same time as we, in time, start an individual consciousness uh, in, in the physical world. Yeah, that we're in a way fulfilling something that existed as a kind of potential before. If you have God being infinite, but each of us occupy a very specific space where we can partner with a particular part of God in a way that nobody else can. I think about Jesus Christ coming and fulfilling all these prophecies. That The prophecies were already there, and they knew the story was going to mm -hmm. go this way, but there's a time of it actually happening. Is there something analogous in each of our lives that... Yeah. that we're doing it right now, but it doesn't mean this this was the very start of th us in that, not in our conscious sense, but in the totality of our impact in life and our place in life. And I love that idea that that we each have a particular function, that we can we can make this connection and fill out this mosaic in a way that that nobody else can, but yet that it doesn't mean at a certain point, we're done with people because we fill all the spots because God's infinite, but yet nobody lines up in exactly the same spot as us. So, and I love yeah. that idea that there's a wisdom in in our lives. You know, I think that's what people are looking for when they think of that preexistence that there was there was a plan or there was a thought or this was more yep. ordered. It looks like chaos. It looks crazy like that. that you know so and so died young or the you know whatever happened. But the you know there's an order to it. But I think that order. Really, I'm okay with it just existing in the mind of God. Like, it's above my pay grade to make an arrangement like that or something, mm -hmm. you know. But, but the Lord can sort of write that story and see how it's going to go. And, and so that's the mind that was there thinking before we were born. And to, to further complicate it, Swedenborg does assert that our ability to understand true things and to, to want good things actually is God's ability in us. So if we're thinking that's the part of us that can really think well and, and feel well, that part of us could be making pre-life decisions because it's God. It doesn't mean <laughs> that I can remember that. In the same way. Yeah. So you, you, however we need to spin it to win the debate, we can do that. <laughs> We've much. done it. Good. Okay. All right. Stop tapping on the desk. Okay. <laughs> Let's take a look at our next <laughs> <Okay>. question. I, <laughs> Terezina. Cabral asks, do spirits that are now living in heaven need to eat? Get to eat, some people would say. Some people would say need to eat. I feel like I've felt it both ways. There are times when I'm like, I would never want to give up something as fun as eating. There's other times when I'm trying to arrange like what diet is healthy for me and what's the most ethical way to eat. Though I just feel like, wow, would I love to just drink water and that's it. So what, what, is, uh, what does Swedenborg have to say about that? Um, I was going to say, let's kick it to Karin first, but for technical reasons, oh. it's easier for the, <laughs> right. us to do it this way first. So let's kick it to one of you guys first. Eeny, meeny, miny, Chelsea? Sure. <laughs> this is easy being the host. No, I you just, go like, first. I mean, I maybe took the first one oh, okay. last time. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll be your rebuttal. Um, well, it's very interesting because um, Swedenborg definitely says that there's food in heaven and that people eat. He describes it just being kind of... Um, because it's actually a correspondence of the usefulness that people perform 
it kind of manifests at the right time. He even describes sort of dinners that happen in the other world, and then it kind of just everybody eats, and then that all just sort of goes away. But you don't have a whole mm. sort of catering class or, you know, like a whole bunch of people who are trying to take care of that. It just happens by, by providence. Uh, and yet, he'll say that of all our senses in the other world, our sight and hearing greatly increase, our sense of touch and sensitivity and things like that greatly increase. But the sense of taste is about the same as it was. Our, our smell increases. Is The taste doesn't get better. And he says at some point that that's because taste, to a lesser extent than the other senses, uh, leads to wisdom. Like, you can sort of go overboard with the with the taste that you know if you just really live for the food or something you learn more from seeing and hearing and you know sensing things than than you do from from just tasting food and the other thing that came to mind was that he says that for people who perform a really excellent use they get really excellent food and and not so you know like it's all and and people who don't do anything useful actually are hungry and need to be useful to get food to eat and right. I've thought about that a lot over the years and have finally decided that I think I can sometimes feel that a little bit um, it's just a little delight you know that you get that seems to be according to the use of, of what you did I think that's a little spiritual food that little joy that you get after you accomplish something or you know yeah. and sometimes when it's a bigger delight i think oh maybe i was more useful like that's better food i got better sp spiritual food for doing that than i did for doing this other like thing you're 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 feeling a little bit of that that's happening spiritually for you but right now yeah i'm kind of drawing the line between just a feeling of joy or satisfaction yeah. or peace in myself and what he says about food wondering hmm am i eating spiritual food right now is it you know am i and is the is the quality of how good this is according to the usefulness? You know, can I learn something about how useful it was what I what I just did from that? Yeah, and I would say equating you know feelings and the desire to do something useful with spiritual food, and then the negative sense doing things that are not useful, gives me a little perspective on when I'm trying to kick negative emotional habits or I'm trying to be a better person, it can be easy to think, why is this hard to do? But if you try to give up sugar, it's very difficult because the body is, is conditioned and dependent on it. So I think about the spirit. Similarly, if, our, if we're really used to eating kind of spiritual junk food, it's okay. It's going to take time to, to kick that and you may have relapses and that kind of thing. So in a way, that, that's encouraging to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Chelsea. Um, I guess just the only other thread of that whole idea, and I don't know exactly how it plays out in the spiritual world, but just that, um, you know, like the prayer says, give us our daily bread and like bread and water are these are just these, you know, we need them to live. And Swedenborg describes mm. uh, or bread isn't symbol for that food that we need and water and, you know, is the, the hydration and that those um, water corresponds to um, truth and bread in many ways is love and that so there's just in the way that we need that every day we still need that in in the spiritual world um right. just like a daily um diet of of truth and love and so um so that's so there is that need to eat but how that necessarily plays out in the 
physical, tangible things of the spiritual world, I'm not entirely sure. Um, yeah. Right, right. Karen, do you have any uh, food, spiritual food related thoughts? Yeah, my, my impression is uh, that in the spiritual world, it, um, at least in the higher levels, you don't have to eat by putting things in your mouth all the time like we, we do on earth to just keep our bodies alive because we are spiritual bodies, heavenly bodies are sustained by love and truth and, um, and, and both from God, but also from like, we had the show where we talked about, um, angels are fed by when we on earth do good things and, and express goodness and love. That's also feeding them. Uh, so that is, that's the sustenance. Um, and, and definitely there, as the other panelists have been saying, um, definitely there are times that people do have meals and things. And, and sometimes it seems like it's um, for the wider use of some sort of um, celebration of something or um, for the communing with others that happens. Um, I'm having it pop into my head or remembering Swedenborg describing a culture on another planet <laughs> that, um, that, they saw eating a meal as totally about the companionship. They were not really interested in the taste as we get pretty caught up in on into on earth, but it was all about the companionship. And, and I kind of think of that as a heavenly um, point of gathering for a meal is um, companionship or celebrating something. So yeah, it's definitely um, a, a symbol. The, the real food is the love and the truth. And, but there can be these um, enjoyable um, activities of gathering for a meal and, and eating when that is expressing something about, about getting together in love or sharing love with people on earth or what have you. <laughs> yeah, I do think we experience something analogous to that. I, I look at the difference between depending on these sort of external pleasures versus them bolstering internal pleasures. Mm -hmm. So I think about, let's say I am feeling useful, like I feel like I did a good job on the panel show tonight or something like that. And let's say that I'm going out to eat after that. There's a very different feeling of when you already feel like something is going well, then your eating is just like, wow, this is a little extra mm -hmm. something versus things are not going well. I'm going to try to have this meal lift me up. Often that's a, it, it's a very heavy burden for it to bear. So it's, oh, the, this isn't quite right. I'm not enjoying this. But when it's a supplemental pleasure, mm -hmm. th that can be the time when I almost I get this highest sense of joy because I'm like life is already, things are already working mm -hmm. well. And then just to think, oh, and this is just a little bonus. On this. Something about that makes me feel like this is a little bit of heaven mm -hmm. to, to, to have that sort of moment to pause and reflect when you're thinking back on the, the useful things that were happening. So, And I think yeah. that uh, Swedenborg says it, knowledge like nourishment for the mind knowledge in particular is is a kind of spiritual food that angels love to eat every day uh you know to learn more they're just in that cycle of like oh i want to mm -hmm. learn something new and that's nourishing to them and i think that the way he says in uh how the way angels view things filters down into our language and we don't even realize it, but the metaphors, like the mountain show mm -hmm. that we yeah. did, and we talked about the metaphors, that don't people talk about, like if you hear a, a good talk or watch a good, you know, some some YouTube video show. clip on yeah. something, <laughs> you know, don't you say, well, that was a really satisfying meal, mm -hmm. or that was like popcorn, but like I'm still starving afterwards, mm -hmm. or or you know, 
oh, I'm really going to have to chew on that. I mean, I sort of see what you're saying, but I can't, I can't really, I'm not digesting everything you're mm-hmm. saying. Right. You know, we sort of use food metaphors for that. And I think that's because that's actually the way it is in, in the spiritual world. That is the, that's the food. Awesome. Yeah, so I love getting to think over this stuff with all of you, and it's great to, to get to hear from you guys. What, what are you thinking about? What kind of questions are you interested in asking? First of all, I feel like the more people we can involve in the Swedenborgian discuss and the more different angles we look at this from, the more we know about it. So in the spirit of that, we have a guest story here for you all. This is a conversation that I got to have with another person who was interested in Swedenborg, and it's just we're just going to hear a little bit from her about what she feels like is important about getting this message out there, particularly as it may relate to the fields of mental health. So here's a, a chat that we had. Hey, everybody. So here I'm excited to be talking to my friend, Dr. Tatiana Irvin. Uh, she's the host of Waking Up Solutionary TV with Dr. Tatiana and also has a website, uh, com. all good places to go. Um, I actually... I've been on your program, Waking Up, but I first met you um, in London. There was a conference for consciousness and human evolution. You remember that, right? Absolutely. Well, it was a great conference. Oh, it was so fun. And, and I was lucky enough to get invited to speak there. And I, I had no idea what the conference would be like or what it would be about. And um, so I was, my mission was to go talk about sort of Swedenborg's model of the mind and the spiritual world's influence on our mental state and mental health. And I was hedging it a lot, you know, I was saying, I know this is weird, I'm sorry about, you know, bringing all this spiritual stuff into here. And after the speech, you stood up in, during the Q&A and said, like, don't be ashamed to, to share that stuff, thank you, this, this kind of stuff needs to get out. So appreciate that, and I also just wanted to hear what makes you feel like, you know, Swedenborg's ideas and the, the model of a, a spiritual interface with a mind, what makes that so important for, for people to hear? Well, you know, it's actually profound because the nature of the conference was all about human potential. It was about our personal and soulful evolution. Um, Really powerful topics were touched on by the world-renowned speakers that were there that have deep science and a lot of written work and have done amazing um, portrayals of what we can do with neuroplasticity and epigenetics and what we can do with the power of meditation. And it was fascinating to me that they had you speak as one of the last speakers, if not the last speaker, as I recall, Curtis. And you kind of came in with a, okay, so, you know, this has been a real high conference. And we were excited about all of the potential that lays before us and how much humanity has progressed. And I need to share what Swedenborg's view was on exists in that 95% of dark matter, you know, for all sakes and purposes, that, that is the unknown, untapped universe beyond the material world, because a lot of what we had talked about in the conference up until that point was about the material world. And Swedenborg talked about the fact that even when you are doing your best, even when you are focused and you are on a positive track, whether you're meditating or you're working on changing your health uh, or you're looking at retraining your brain, there's still dark forces. It isn't all about the light and the positivity. There are beings because this is a spiritual battle. And it is unfortunate that we don't discuss that often enough in our current institutions and our systems that are meant to serve us, uh, particularly in the mental health realm, because so many of us have been disadvantaged. And I, I do consider it an inherent danger that the disadvantage of what we believe because of the, redu- you know, the reductionistic, materialistic, scientific model is that 
particularly as it comes to those that are suffering because they're they're sensitives and they are feeling the energy of spirits or the influence or the voices in their head. Currently, our systems tell them, take a pill, get some therapy, um, deny those voices, um, suck it up and deal. And when I felt compelled to stand up because of a very personal um, connection to someone who had been dealing with those voices, which I consider to be dark elements that exist and are very real and are part of the spiritual battle that every one of us is participating in as we're here in these bodies and experiencing this life journey, um, I felt this draw from the audience that I wasn't the only one that wanted to encourage you. I wanted to encourage you to get more of Swedenborg's work out there to the world so that many of us that are beating ourselves up with metaphysical abuse, to, to coin a phrase, because we're not progressing fast enough, we haven't changed our genetics through epigenetics fast enough, the miracles aren't playing out in our lives fast enough, our marriages haven't improved fast enough, we, we blame it all on ourselves and we assume that it's just us that is failing and, and not that there is a larger effort to beat us down that really probably would create some balm for a lot of our hearts and souls to know. And what was fascinating, Curtis, is that I saw heads turn around when I, when I made that statement of encouraging you and how important the work and the word was that you were sharing and um, that it was a relief to many of us and that it needed to progress further. And I had so many people come up to me um, after you know, the conclusion of your speaking, as well as one of the founders of the conference saying, that was amazing. Thank you for making that statement and request. I think that that, you know, touched a lot of people and compelled many. So it's, it's an imperative that more of Swedenborg's work be uh, known in the world and eventually change more of our systems. And I'm thrilled that you came on my show and shared some of that with my audience because I think it's imperative. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad to, to get to be a part of it. And I love the idea of building up networks, people who are trying to just make life better for everybody. And do you see a lot of, so I know you, you had um, been involved in sort of positive spiritual work of various kinds for a while. So do you see a lot of compatibility with what you've been doing and sort of the, the Swedenborg message and, and potential for, for crossover there? Oh, unquestionably, because, you know, when I, when I've worked with clients and students one-on-one -on -one or, you know, in kind of a mass audience, what I've come to find is that there are many that feel ashamed that they haven't succeeded more because they haven't been able to completely extricate, um, you know, some depressive spirals or beliefs about their themselves and their self-esteem that had been very defeating. You know, a lot of, again, voices in our head, very similar to what you shared and what I've since studied regarding Swedenborg's work and the fact that there are beings that are light and bring us up and build us up and give us hope and put us into a certainty of Christ's love. And there are beings that are berating and um, very often accusing, and they sound like our voice in our head, and very often we have a, a, the misjudgment of assuming that there are. So um, I have dealt with students, and I've dealt with um, others that have felt like there were true demonic possessions going on, and using a lot of the directive and also the wisdom that Swedenborg shared, there, there was a feeling of ease that it presented to them, that they were not alone in that world, and that it was just something that needed to be navigated with a lot more understanding. And I believe that that's what Swedenborg does. 
Yeah, and I, I definitely, in, in my limited experience, you know, applying Swedenborg's and other spiritual ideas to my own consciousness and sharing tools with other people, it seems like, well, that's not going to be the, the one magic pill for everybody to, to not have that as an option, to totally try to just ignore the potential that, that anything you're reporting is actually happening to you, seems to, to rob people of the chance at the kind of healing that, that, that it's very hard to come from other places. So I do love uh, the idea of, hey, let's, let's get it so we can even have this conversation without you know, everyone saying, what spirits, what are you talking about? You know? Right, right. And, and I think the huge disadvantage in the West is the fact that, and when I say the West, I mean most of you know, the European Union, um, Great Britain, and certainly the United States and Australia, is that we don't have it built into our mental health scope or even into our wellness model that there are beings and that there are energies that exist beyond the veil that have to do with the body, mind, and spirit complex that is the physiology that we're all riding in and that we're all um, in our wholeness actually representing in a lot of the Ayurvedic medicine and um, in also a lot of the, the mental health field in some of the Asian um, areas of the world, they actually do have language for this and they look for curses and they look for entities and they look for possession. And um, it's a kindness, I think, that they offer uh, the individuals that reside in those countries and are able to be treated as more, a more holistic model, a more whole being. And it's the West where we are dragging behind because we're just so arrogant uh, for the most part in our materialistic worldview. Well, let's hope we can uh, you know, move the needle in little bits in little ways. I can talk to you about this forever, but I think we'll leave it here. Thanks so much, uh, everybody. It's drtatianaurban.com if you want to find out more. Just really appreciate getting to chat with you a little while here. Thank you, Curtis. Keep up the good work. We need you. Show up at those conferences and keep doing these videos. You're inspiring many. Thanks so much. You bet. I love what Dr. Irvin said there, like the phrase metaphysical abuse. <laughs> I've never heard <laughs> yeah. that before. It's really awesome. And also, I think she put her finger on something of just all these people who are feeling like, you know, there's a lot of people in the world who are striving and they want to know what the good thing is, what the right thing is, and they're working really hard and they're trying to, you know, have a, a, a good life and relationships that make sense. And then they're watching themselves fail in certain ways or, or just feeling bad or ashamed or blaming themselves or something because yeah. they're not. And I, I love something a friend of mine said that um, about a completely different kind of sacred event, the uh, Super Bowl that's coming up. But the uh, that you know you you make your plan, you have your strategy, but there's another team on the field, yeah. you know. And I, I like that way of putting it that they're thinking too about how to defeat every move mm. you make, you know. And and that that really is true. And there's providence over the whole thing. And uh, but um, I, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, I loved I loved what she said about that. It's not something to just be afraid of or feel ashamed or feel alone, but that it's something that with knowledge you can navigate with more and more understanding. And that that really is just what's so empowering about um, Swedenborg's teachings and the wider and wider knowledge and conversation around this is it just is giving people the tools to navigate that. That kind of strengthening food of that yeah. knowledge. Yeah. yeah, I did like that she was touching on people expect well, they're spiritual. Things should be going better for them now. Two days ago, I was having that very distinctly where I was feeling, thinking back to when I was 25, like 10 years ago, and I was thinking to myself, 
have I progressed at all since then? Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm any better at this managing my mind than I was back then. <laughs> and I was definitely feeling. Like... So it's good to have her say, this is what a lot of people are feeling. And yes. it's because it's hard. And if you think about it, you're playing a sport. Yeah, the other team is good and they're getting better and all that. So, <laughs> Karin, do you have any reaction to the clip? Oh, I thought it was wonderful. I, I liked how she said that we really need this uh, in the West. We need this built into our wellness model, you know, the, the awareness that there are these spiritual forces that are going to be berating us in our mind, that that's not us and that we haven't failed because we can't think positive all the time. It, it's like she said, it's such a, it, it's such an offering of compassion to, to realize, oh, that's what's going on. And that's so empowering to know, okay, this is just, these are some other beings I just need to be aware of. That's not me. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm failing. And I'm very excited if people like her who are in the field of, of trying to help people with wellness and, and mental health and things. And, and also Jerry Marzinski and Ryan O'Neill that that we had on our show and various people who are wanting to bring that idea into the, the realm of therapy and psychiatry and, and different ways to help people. It's, I just feel like it's so important and it could do so much to help so many people. Awesome. Great. Well, Hey, let's, let's get back to our, uh, our audience questions. So let's see if, if you guys have thought of any in the meantime. So this is from Ashley Sherman who asks if spirits and angels need us in order for them to exist, if the earth were to be destroyed by the sun or an asteroid, would all spirits and angels whom are part of the earth be destroyed too? We did have a program that we referenced earlier in this program where we talked about this weird idea Swedenborg has, or it could be an inspiring idea that we, rather than just, we sometimes pray to angels and they help us, but that we provide some kind of foundation that allows for their existence. So if, if Bruce Willis wasn't there to stop that asteroid and it destroyed the earth, <laughs> What happens, you know? So, any any thoughts on that? Um, I think my initial thought is just that right, it's the the physical universe is this essential part of the whole divine design, and that is something that uh, the Lord uh, created, creates, sustains, you know. And so, if if planets come and go, <laughs> um, that it doesn't it doesn't somehow destroy communities in heaven. Mm. Um, and it makes me think of our show, The Spirituality of Aliens, but actually I think it was the live show that came after that um, that also had the word aliens in it. Yeah, Something um, Something Aliens, yeah. I think it was called. <laughs> um, it, in that show, we referenced some passage where Swedenborg writes about how in the highest heaven, there's communities that are created from people from all parts of right. the universe and that they're no longer sort of only feel okay with people who are from the same planet as them or something. So, right. um, so definitely I think there's many, many ways that the Lord protects against that sort of a, you know, disaster to happen. It seems and like what's, the, oh, what's go ahead. bizarre is that Swedenborg actually point blank answers this question at one point. Uh, that he actually talks about the fact that if uh, really all hell broke loose on the planet, like everybody just killed each other, we all sort of moved away from God and lost that divine protection or something, we all killed each other um, and, you know, wiped out the planet or, or wiped out the human race here or something. He says that those angels and spirits would continue to exist, but they would be assigned to another planet. 
they would move to another group. So what you were saying about the physical world, that, that you need to have that basis. And Swedenborg is also careful to say that the Lord uh, does everything he possibly can, and it's weird to make it sound like he's not omnipotent or something, but within the laws of his divine providence, does everything that he can to prevent that eventuality, you know, uh, and it seems like he's pretty successful, you know, I mean, we've been at each other for, you know, <laughs> centuries on this planet, <laughs> but we still haven't time. managed to wipe <laughs> each other out completely, and, and um, so he, he wants to preserve it, but he's got a plan B yeah. if, if, if we go rogue. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. And and those angels will still be fine because they're in the palm of the Lord's hands. He'll he'll take care of them to eternity. That's his contract. It seems like God is very good at workarounds. That originally there was a whole system mm-hmm. in the human mind where God would flow into the will, and that's how everything would happen. But then the will became corrupt, so he split the intellect off from the will, so people could. It seems like God has contingency plan after contingency plan. Karen, do you have any thoughts? Um, I think you've all said it very well. Um, definitely that once once people are there in the spiritual realm and in heaven, they're not going to cease to exist ever. You know, they, there is always going to be a way that they'll have this basis. And um, I do remember one place where Swedenborg was explaining that, uh, you know, the end times predictions does not mean that planet Earth is going to end. But he said, eventually of a planet can end but as you've been saying that doesn't mean that um, the people who came from that planet are in trouble they they just uh, their basis gets transferred elsewhere and i loved what chelsea was pointing out that if they can integrate all together from different planets in the highest heaven then that takes care of the problem <laughs> they can share bases with other planets so angels and spirits will be okay Let's just not destroy the planet anyway. Let's do our best not to. I'd rather not. <laughs> nice. Let's keep it going. Let's That's keep nice. this it's thing going. It's a nice going. old place. I've grown fond of it. Yes. This is the next question. <laughs> Matt Klein asks, people experience dark thoughts from dark spirits. Suggestions for explaining to suffering people those thoughts do not come from them, who maybe are not ready for the spiritual realm explanation. Mm. Absolutely. And yeah, yeah, right, right. I feel like I want to give an initial thought on this, because um, I've for had it. to do that mm-hmm. at times. It seems to me that you can, without saying, I believe in spirits and spirits <laughs> are in your mind, you, you can still get people to um, Im- imagine it like it's something external to them. I, I was mm-hmm. corresponding with somebody who... Um, Oh, I just say, you know, uh, imagine this part of your mind that's that keeps leading you back into these problems that are, have caused you to end up where you are. You know, imagine them, personify it, and imagine, describe that person and what are they like and what what are their goals and how do their goals differ from your goals. And that seemed to be the key. Karen had mentioned Jerry Marzinski, who had done work in prisons with people who are psychotic and having voices talk to them. The key seemed to be identifying that the things that are that are sharing the space with you have a different set of agendas than you do. That it's not all the same thing. So even getting somebody to think about their mind in a personified way and to, to identify that there's an element in there that may have different goals and what are those goals, that seems to be the key. Then you can start to get them thinking about it. And it seems like there's a just a gravity towards playing that game, the personification game, and them more and more seeing that as something they can differentiate from and push back against. So it, it, 
it's it, it, as long as you you know just ease it in there it seems like people are ready to grab it yeah i i think um along those same lines the idea of asking does it does it really serve you you know and does it that whole idea of like or does it serve the highest good is just realizing that there are you know trains of thought and impulses inside of us that we can pretty fairly objectively look at and say this one serves my life and this one really is sabotaging my life you know like you don't have to think spirits are a part of the equation when you're dealing with an addiction and you just know that there's one part of yourself that actually is ready to put throw you under the you know bus right. to get what it wants um and so just very having training your mind to stop before you act and ask yourself what what choice am i about to make and what does that serve and then really just in little ways pulling the reins and saying i'm not going to make this choice because that doesn't serve this higher good or this thing that i want in my life so just really simple totally keeping it within the power of the individual um and and another element of that is is also um an idea that i think we fall into thinking about a lot anyway um but somebody made it a way to approach psychology i think it's called internal family systems or something um where and something i love about it is we talk about parts of ourselves you know yeah. i have this part of myself that just da, da da and so but who which part of yourself is the one running the show you know is the one that is running the meeting and then that part of yourself can be the one that you want to identify with most strongly which is has the most compassion you know and the most understanding um and the greatest awareness and the willingness to listen you know like you can try to connect into that part of yourself that that can then listen to these other parts of yourself and give them the time you know within a safe uh situation especially if these dark thoughts are really wanting to you know lose control or something like that um but there's a power to actually hearing out sometimes the parts of yourself that that you keep just wanting to shut up because they keep scaring you or something you know like but it with it with support or something you can understand where are you coming from you know how old are you that like yeah. what what are you what idea of life are you functioning on and oh actually that is not a very loving perspective here let me offer you this instead or you know so you can actually do a lot within your own mind thinking of these parts of yourself as a family that need to kind of work out how they're going to relate to each other yeah and any any examination is good examination and if you are right. trying to okay let's all have a, a civil discussion here the more attention you pay the more agendas become apparent and the agenda that i'm just trying to destroy you fits less and less there's le it, it's it's a sort of mental gymnastics to justify its place at the table become more and more apparent mm -hmm. so yeah, I, it's funny. I had exactly the same thought about internal family systems. I did a little bit of study of family systems theory a few years ago, and which was just looking at, okay, you've got, you know, the way, like sometimes there's sort of a, a black sheep or, a, you know, the different roles that people right. play of who's close to the parents or who's far away. And then the idea more recently that that can all be inside one person is I think a great way to approach it without having to get into spirits or woo-woo stuff about the afterlife or whatever that might be difficult for people to go through. Um, the other thing, uh, like you did a video years ago, Curtis, that 
about head bullies. Yeah. I, I don't remember what the title was, but it got into head bullies. Head bullies. <laughs> no, that, that, was, that was the first part of the title. Yeah, 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 yeah. good. Head bullies. I think that's great. And you asked the question in there like that just hit me uh, so hard in a good way of like, why, why would my own thoughts tear me down? You know, yeah. why would my own thinking process be critical of me or trying to stop me from doing yeah. good things or try, you know just say no you you'll never add up don't go back to school you, you're yeah. stupid you know or something <laughs> you know like why would your own thinking what what does yeah. it have to gain what do i have to gain by thinking that yeah. thought you know that that seems to tear me down and so it does kind of objectify it and just another little point from family systems theory was that some people who practice this will say that if you can get to the point where you can voice, often if you're in the therapist role and the other person is saying, well, I don't know, I'm nervous about so-and-so, and you're saying, oh, no, you're good, you're smart, you can do this, and, and then they resist you, and they say, no, I'll probably, you know. Yeah. And if you can actually take on their negative voice, if you can voice, yeah, well, it's probably true, you'll probably fail. I mean, you'll go into debt. It, it, it'll be awful and embarrassing, and you'd be better off just not. And then they say, well, no, I'm, you know, I could probably get through it, you know, and the energy switches around the other way. And so it's interesting how different people can play that role. So th those might be some, just thinking in terms of the thoughts might be a way to express it to people who aren't ready for the the spiritual aspect of it, the idea that these are actually spirits that have an agenda or something. Right. Uh, and yeah, I, I am really interested in what Karen has to say, but that just makes me think that um, so I'm just going to interject here quick, though, but just like that, um, even though I have the awareness that spirits influence my thoughts, I, in my own head, I am constantly acting as if they don't, you know, I mean, just in terms of like, or I can employ that knowledge when it's useful, but everything I'm saying here is stuff that I use for my own self-talk, you know, yeah. to like work through stuff. It's not, you know, with it's almost like sort of compartmentalized in my mind because it's that whole like living as if of yourself. You know, you know all life comes from the Lord, but you need to live as if of yourself. I feel like when it comes to the fact that spirits are flowing into my mind and I know that, you know, it, ultimately it just affirms my choice, the choice that I have, knowing that it all flows in. But when it actually comes to the how to deal with the all the cacophony or whatever it is that it's like these kinds of ways of thinking about it without it necessarily being like what hell is this coming from or what heaven is this coming from it just all helps me figure out how to deal with myself <laughs> well isn't that the point of swedenborg in the first place how do you deal with yourself yeah right. <laughs> well and so matt you might I would say check out that video head bullies because that's essentially me trying to do what you're talking about because mm -hmm. i was giving that speech to a group of college students and I was trying to be not too out there. That was at the very beginning of Off the Left Eye before I realized you could be as out there as we are and people wouldn't run away. So that that might be interesting. And Karin, what, what do you think about this whole thing? Um, just adding a couple of last things. This has all been really good stuff you're saying. Um, just the simple idea of higher self, lower ego, higher perspective, lower perspective. I think that that's a really mainstream idea these days that you get you have a part of your perspective that when when you're not um, being flooded with uh, you know negativity you can see 
oh yeah, th that's okay. And, and I'm okay. But you get flooded in a lower place that thinks that really loses perspective that this has a very false view. And, and um, so I think you can talk about that, you know, is that, what would your higher perspective say? And maybe you can um, think about like, think of somebody who really, really loves you. What would they say about that? If you're, if you're having beat yourself up kind of thoughts. So higher perspective um, can look down on a lower way of thinking and be objective about it and, and really see, does that make sense? Really? And, and I think that is, um, that could be very helpful. Yeah, and in in Head Boys, like the basic point was, you wouldn't tolerate another person speaking to you the way that your mind speaks to you. Right. You, you would uh, realize that that's inappropriate. We come together and form groups against bullying. You, you report it, <laughs> but you'll just let your own mind walk all over you. So it's just about a, you could get somebody like, hey, apply the same skepticism you apply to other people's behavior to your own mind, and then that's a, that's a great start. Um, so apparently someone's come in here and bumped our clock forward like 15 minutes because I thought we had a lot more time, but it's it's the end of the hour here. So thank you so much, everyone, for giving us we those awesome... We were in the spiritual world. We were for a little while. You all came with us. <laughs> Hopefully that still registers on the server of this video that we streamed during that time. Um, I want to say thanks to all of you for, for making the panel mm -hmm. so awesome. Karin, thanks so much for, for Skyping in from, yeah, uh, thanks, from the middle of the snowstorm. Thank you. It was fun. All right. And so, everybody, if you had any fun, I forgot to do this at the beginning of the show, but like and subscribe. That's really nice for us. It helps us in a myriad ways. And if you're already subscribed, click the bell so you get those notifications because then you'll know when something else cool is coming out. And if you'd like to make this kind of programming possible, let's uh, consider joining us on Patreon. Do you guys want to? Chelsea, what's Patreon? Um, Patreon is a sort of crowdfunding kind of a thing yeah. where um, people can become a, a patron where you just have it hooked up so you're giving a certain amount every month um, and so it's a way to support our work but then you also get to see behind the scenes stuff or extra footage or little things um, treats and such yeah. to really feel like a part of the community that is helping to really make this whole thing run. Thanks to everybody who has contributed there, contributed anywhere else, contributed with your time and attention. Tonight, we're going to be back next week, continuing our Swedenborg Life series where we're moving through all Swedenborg's books, so that's going to be fun and exciting. Check out News from Heaven this Thursday. We've got all kinds of great content for all of you, and thanks so much for enjoying it. Otherwise, we wouldn't have any reason to, to put it out there in the first place. So have a great week, everyone. Swedenborg and Life Live is Curtis Childs, host and showrunner, with co-host Jonathan Rose. Live stream tech and graphics by Stuart Farmer and Matthew Childs. Show writing and chat moderation by Karin Childs and Chelsea Odner. <laughs>